And I think that's so important that we create projects that empower and encourage other people to find their truths or explore who they are. And I think just by doing that for myself, I hope to be a light for others. Welcome back to In These Uncertain Times, a podcast about creating and connecting in the midst of uncertainty. I'm your host, Derek Horn. Today's guest, Leah Garlock, believes design problem solving is as much about actively listening as it is about aesthetics. As an experienced designer and illustrator, she takes a multimedia lens to explore social issues, cultural identity, and narratives on personal growth. Leah earned her BFA in Communications Design and Philosophy from Syracuse University, where she received a grant to explore the cultural identity of Korean-American adoptees. Her portfolio includes collaborations with nonprofits like the Center of Urban Pedagogy and Hollaback, and adoptee-run organizations also known as IKAA, Adoptine, and Adoptee Bridge. Outside of work and personal projects, Leah volunteers as the Communications Manager for Asian Women in the Arts, or AWA, an organization that creates celebratory and healing spaces centering the work of women and LGBTQIA cultural workers in the Asian diaspora. Since January 2021, Leah has been in South Korea through a Fulbright English Teaching Assistant grant. Leah and I spoke right at the end of 2020, right before she embarked on her Fulbright journey. We discussed her various personal projects, the ways in which she's been virtually engaging with her communities, the exploration of her identity as a Korean-American adoptee, and she courageously shares how she has been coping with trauma in the midst of pandemic isolation. As a heads up, our discussion touches on sexual assault. Well, hi, Leah. Welcome to In These Uncertain Times. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm doing all right. Uh, Thank you for joining today. So to get started, can you please introduce yourself to listeners in your own words? Yeah. Um, Hi, everyone. My name is Leah. I go by she, her pronouns. Um, As I normally like to begin, um, I'm currently uh, on Seneca land uh, in my hometown in Rochester. And um, how do I like this is always an interesting question when you're asked to um, talk about yourself, but I think I'm first and foremost, um, someone who's always really curious and creative and likes to um, have really deep empathy for other people through the work that I do. And I like to explore um, cultural identity, um, personal identity, and I also really um, am moved by personal growth and development. So a lot of the things that I do creatively tend to fall into those categories. Um, Mm. So experienced designer, multimedia artist, a bunch of other things that, um, yeah, I like to think of myself as a creative being. (laughs) I love that. You are definitely somebody that has many talents and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to invite you is because even through your your, um, numerous personal projects you kind of have this common thread of empathy also kind of personal growth and lots of self-reflection and things like that and I I really always admired that about you and I'm excited to chat about how that has been going this year so how would you say that COVID and and all the things that have happened this year have impacted your creativity or anything that you do? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, I think about this um, kind of on the daily, um, just because I think for me, I 
especially being in New York City prior to this, was really used to the hustle and grind of go, go, go. And also mm-hmm. um, trying not to, um, you know, reflect my worth on my production and how efficient I am. Right. And I think with COVID, you know, a lot of that gets like turned on its head because there's a lot of anxiety that this like period of time gives folks. Um, and I have definitely been feeling it. And with that, I think comes distractions and sometimes just like, I'm just not in the right headspace to, you know, think through ideas or come up with solutions. And so I've had to learn how to be more gentle um, with myself Mm -hmm. and my timing, Um, learn how to find new ways of being productive. And Mm. I think the other thing is like, you know, really, really trying this time around to like separate my worth from like how efficient and productive I am. Totally. Yeah, I think that that is something, even from a very young age, that we're kind of indoctrinated to kind of assess how we're using our time in any any sort of way. So I think that this year, especially when the way that we're using our time um, and kind of how that is distributed throughout the day, is, it's really forced us to, I think, think about some of that stuff and realize that a lot of the things that we were doing before this time weren't necessarily working mm-hmm. and you can't um you can't pour from an empty cup so it's like putting a pause button on some of those more toxic parts of our culture i think has been really great to um build upon and, and try something new coming out of that yeah i really agree with that <laughs> um <laughs> yeah it's i know we talked about this but i don't i'm when all of this is said and done, it's not like we're going back to like the new normal, which is like a weird way of phrasing things. Right. Um, but yeah, there's definitely going to be lessons that I've taken from this time and turn it into, you know, better uses for the future. So. Totally. So what are, um, are some of the ways that you communicate with the folks in your orbit, be people you work with or friends or, um, colleagues, things like that? And if if that changed at all because of this year? So work-wise, you know, that's remained, um, thankfully, like relatively the same, just from like a Slack perspective. But Mm -hmm. um, I think what has been really interesting is, um, you know, having to rely on video um, so Mm. much too. So we also use like Zoom, obviously, um, Google. um, And I think what was for me, like, I'm so used to meeting in person that like switching over to video sometimes for some of um, my more internal work definitely caused like Zoom fatigue. And I think yeah. what was really interesting um, is like my um, coworkers would, some, would allow us to like turn off our cameras, which I thought was really nice because like, regardless if I'm Zoom ready, <laughs> sometimes I'm just not <laughs> Zoom ready, just like, you know, with right. having to constantly be in meetings. Um, so that's definitely something that like, I think especially in a digital space that we exist in and having to rely on digital communications and video chat, um, how do we create and foster that environment where it's still a workable environment, still feels kind of intimate, but at the same time provides us some boundaries because I definitely think we need boundaries um, very much so. Um, I think in my personal work, um, a lot of my friends and I were having weekly meetings. And I think that was definitely a shift too. But I think over time, we've developed sort of a consistency and a rhythm that's been really Mm. nice to have. Um, In addition, like, how do we make the most intimate 
experience of, you know, having a conversation like how we are having right now. Um, and, you know, really delving into that energy and figuring out, mm -hmm. okay, let's like really tweak this or tweak that, especially when we're in more, more community spaces, but at the same time, let's stay connected, you know, on Instagram and Facebook and various other outlets. And I think it's just about making time to reach out to folks. Totally. And I think that like many things this year, that, that communication can be an evolving process, right? Because I think that from the beginning, it was like, okay, we're not able to be in the office now. So we're just going to copy and paste everything we we're doing and just do it over Zoom now. And I think like you were saying, and many other people like you ended up having this Zoom fatigue where they're just kind of exhausted by that constant need to, it's essentially performing online, <laughs> um, kind of how you many ways our day-to-day -day lives are performances but it's like even more so where it's like you have to think about what what does your background look like what are you wearing and it's kind of like how are you constructing your little box in the zoom grid um and how how do you want that to be a reflection of you and your identity it, it's kind of it's interesting um but after a while that that does get exhausting and especially since it seems like we're we're not over this by any means it's it's definitely a marathon and not a sprint it's it's how do we find new ways that are sustainable in a way and kind of allow folks to be forgiving with themselves and in patient and empathetic and, and things like that and um make sure that there's a very like even though we are using these new technologies making sure that there's a, a a common thread of humanity throughout all of them. I feel like that's really validating to, um, you know, think of it as like a performance because I think that's where, you know, the exhaustion comes in a lot of times um, if we're always having to put out our best selves like all the time. And also like, mm -hmm. I don't know about you, um, but I'm gonna be real. <laughs> I <laughs> like, when I look at myself in video, it's sometimes very hard and distracting. Like rarely do I ever like, see myself as I'm speaking so it can mm. be very distracting and I think that like contributes to the performance aspect because I'm constantly trying totally. to be like am I like okay making like appropriate expressions for work <laughs> and all these things um but yeah I think that's a really interesting shift um that I didn't realize until you said now so yeah I um I actually noticed the other day on zoom they have a new feature uh I think it's called like studio effects or something <laughs> where you can like, it adds these subtle effects to like your eyebrows or your lip color or like facial hair. In a way it seems a little dystopian, but if that's something that I guess folks are interested in playing around with, that's more tools for them, I guess. It's <laughs> funny. I actually was like low-key playing around with them um, the other day because I was like, ooh, what's this? Um, since I'm interested in that like AR type of technology. But, yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely, it's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> How have you used technology this year to overcome a challenge that's kind of unique to what you do in your work? So I'm part of an organization called Asian Women in the Arts. Mm. And um, a lot of the work that we do prior um, is really just about fostering communities in person in mm. New York City, um, you know, creating safe spaces that really feel intimate because we're all able to be all together. And obviously, um, since, you know, COVID has changed all of that, um, we've really had to rely on technology to continuing 
the work that we do through those um, particular mediums and spaces. And it's been, it's been, it was challenging at first, but I think um, the way we sort of adapted is um, finding events in particular that we put on that um, are able to still feel intimate just by the way yeah. that we're able to facilitate them. I think that's really, really important. Um, I think that's actually crucial in addition to just the technology, like we mm -hmm. have our conversations over Zoom for the art therapy workshops that we put on. Um, but beyond just Zoom itself and the technology behind that, um, I think the discussion and the way that we bring people in, the way we give people time and space, um, I think that's crucial to making the technology more useful and overcome the hurdles of, okay, how do I create intimate digital spaces now? Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, that's actually something I wanted to talk about is your work with Asian women in the arts. And um, I was wondering if you could tell me us a little bit more about their mission and if that has shifted at all um, for the current moment. Yeah. So um, we are an organization. We became a nonprofit this year, uh, which is exciting. Um, but we uh, celebrate and elevate uh, the voices of Asian women and LGBTQI plus uh, folks um, in the Asian diaspora. Uh, and so the need for this has really come about for um, trying to champion um, what we call, instead of creatives, we call them cultural workers. Mm. And um, we like this phrasing better because, you know, I think as Oh, creative, we generally think of particular mediums um, being right. attached to being a creative, but as a cultural worker, we're actually changing the culture through our work and through how we see and envision things. And um, there's a whole like medium article I can send you to <laughs> some other time, but I think um, that is really a greater, better way of like um, talking about the folks in our community because not all of us are, you know, traditional artists. and. Yeah. Um, I think that also makes the space more inclusive because we're really all about bridging together ideas and people and in order to have conversations that really matter in our community and also talk about, um, you know, work that is so greatly needed um, in both spheres of, you know, the identities that we come in with as well as the um, missions and visions that we're trying to deploy. I love that framing of cultural workers just because I think that creative or artist or designer or any of these titles that people um, kind of traditionally wear. You know, it almost feels like there's, by design, they're kind of set up for people to have these insecurities about, okay, have I reached the point where I can call myself this title? I checked all the boxes to earn this title. Am I doing enough to maintain this title and things like that? And I think that, I mean, I think that they're great titles for people to use if they want to but at the same time it's like i do love the framing of cultural workers is more inclusive and um not necessarily bound to those built-in expectations of the all those other words yeah definitely um yeah i i think you hit it like spot on like that's essentially like at the heart of um you know, why we made that switch. And I think it's been really powerful. And it's also opened the doors for new people entering our space who also really need this community too, so. That's great. So you had your unapologetically single project of a digital drawing a day a few years ago. And most recently you've been doing this great Instagram live series where you interview some of your friends and acquaintances. 
And one of the things I really admire about them is they do have this common thread of personal growth, reflection, and things like that. So when you're thinking of taking on a new personal project like that, the things that you're thinking about makes you decide it's something you want to pursue? I think it varies, but I think, let me give specific examples. So for Unapologetically Single, um, I was moving through a lot of... um, like personal trauma and as well as just um, not feeling the most confident about myself. And I think um, in the past, um, I I would allow myself to feel, which I think is great, but I would almost kind of stay stuck in this place of Mm. feeling. And, you know, for this particular project, which I think is a theme throughout what I try to do in my personal work is instead of you know, staying in this place and having this void, what is the beauty that I can create in this void? So that's where like gentle accountability in the space, there was a lot of accountability to have to draw every single day, right? But I think that motivated me to change my mindset um, about the things that I was thinking about. It um, allowed me the healing space to reflect in a way that um, was both validating um, for myself, but I think the confirmation that I got from others was really healing as well. And I think that's kind of what sparked, you know, products down the line is that when I, not necessarily always have to have to feel a void, but, you know, because of this year and missing my friends or missing having Mm. these really deep conversations, I was like, okay, like, let me think of some ways in which I can create sort of a fun, engaging space to engage with my friends, but then also encourage other people to do the same. And I think that's so important that we create projects that empower and encourage other people to find their truths or explore who they are. And I think just by doing that for myself, I hope to be a light for others, um, you know, for their path. That's awesome. Like I said, I really admire the work that you do and just kind of the level of quality it always is. It always makes me stop and think and admire and appreciates everything you put out. So Thank you for that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, I know you have an exciting new chapter on the horizon. Um, I know this January you're going to South Korea through a Fulbright ETA grant. First off, congratulations. That's super exciting. Um, I was wondering if you wanted to share a little bit more about your journey um, so far with the Fulbright program and kind of what you're looking forward to in this, this new year. Yeah, thank you so much for your congratulations. (laughs) That really means a lot. Um, Yeah, I I am really, really blessed and grateful for this opportunity. Um, I think the timing was definitely not what I expected because I was planning on going in July um, and then I got pushed back to January. Um, That has definitely, that delay has definitely enabled me to grow and change in a lot of ways. Um, But I think... Um, all of those lessons that I've learned, I'm, I think I'm going to apply. I know that I'm going to apply to this new chapter. And I think I'm most looking forward to, it's really hard to describe to folks, but I have like such a genuine, like I know something's going to happen and shift in me. Mm. I don't know what it is yet, but it's probably one of the strongest intuition pulls I've ever had in my life to like 
literally uproot myself from when I'm comfortable and know really well and just like dive into, um, you know, a whole different country. Um, I wouldn't say a whole different culture since, you know, as a Korean adoptee, um, I have had avenues of exploring that. But, um, you know, I think my goal is to deepen those um, cultural roots as well, um, just by being there and existing in the culture that, you know, I was birthed into. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. What is that? Pro- what has that process been like to kind of apply for and, and receive that grant? That's always something that's been a mystery to me, and I'm, I'm sure um, other people may have had that question as well. So the process for Fulbright is was actually pretty daunting at first, um, but um, there's a few different ways that you can go about it. And um, the one that they recommend, um, instead of applying as an individual, um, applying through your university. Um, in this case, since I had uh, graduated prior to when I applied, it was my alma mater. And I contacted she, she's like part of the scholarship office. I'm not actually mm. sure exactly what her full title is. Um, and she became my advisor throughout the whole process. And, um, you know, with her help, and then my mom, who's also an editor, we had to craft uh, two essays, um, the first being a statement of grant purpose, and the second being a personal statement. And the two kind of informed each other, one where I was talking about my personal experiences that led me to applying for Fulbright, and then the other being the experiences that qualified me for being able to, um, mm. you know, receive this grant. Mm-hmm. And I it took a really long time, a really, really long time to edit. Um, I was actually like for one page, one page for each essay, right? Um, it took me about three or four, five maybe months to write wow. and perfect. And it was just constant revisions on revisions because, um, you know, the great thing about going through your university is without cheating, they know how to give you the winning ticket. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was able to sort of craft my original narrative into something that, you know, I was really happy with at the end of the day. And ironically, during this process, it also kind of helped me solidify who I was as a person with the direction I want to go into. So regardless of like, at the time, you know, really hoping I would get it. But at the end yeah. of the day, I was like, I'm really happy that I have these essays because they've helped inform a part of myself that really needed to kind of had some tangible um, solidification, if you will. Um, and so anyways, the essays were a big part of it. But then, you know, you also had to have um, a transcript that you submitted. You had mm. to include like what extracurriculars you did. Um, in this case, I put for college and then also post-college. And then you had to have like various um, smaller essays and then um, language aptitude tests, uh, recommendation letters and interviews. So definitely wow. a process. <laughs> <laughs> It definitely seems like it uh, has paid off, and um, I'm excited to see what this new chapter holds for you. Um, just because I think that it's it's really, I don't know, hearing you talk about how you have this uh, kind of intuition and this pull to 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 take this leap. It, it it really is exciting, and you don't hear too many people talk about those those types of intuitions, let alone act upon them. So. That's incredibly brave, and I'm excited for you. Thank you. That really means a lot. (laughs) Of course. So what has been the most unexpected habit or hobby that you've adopted this year? 
Ooh, man. <laughs> um, honestly, to be really honest with you, um, this is the most recent. I was not expecting to put out an IG Live. It just happened. Um, mm. And the hobby of like, I wouldn't really call it a podcast, but a, a hobby of, you know, creating this type of content um, just came out of whim because of a conversation I had with a friend that inspired me to put forth this idea. Um, so that was really unexpected, but I have really loved seeing how it has evolved. And I think you said it really well earlier, like it really does fit into um, the themes of reflection and personal growth. Um, but I think in general, I was not expecting to become a gamer again. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, so uh, yeah, I think a lot of us in the quarantine of tried to find new hobbies but playing my nintendo switch has definitely become mine <laughs> <laughs> um and also crafting like islands on animal crossing and also i don't know about you but i was obsessed with pokemon when i was a kid and oh, me too oh i have such a good like team right now i'm very proud of it i'm, not, I'm just gonna say that <laughs> um and that was definitely unexpected because i you know prior to COVID like was thinking about it, but it wasn't something that, you know, I took seriously until I was like, okay, I think this will be a really great way for me to relax that I also feel weirdly kind of productive, but I'm also relaxing. So um, yeah. it's been a nice switch to kind of get back into the gaming world. And with that, I think it's also helped inform some of the interests I have in AR and VR that I've been exploring um, and taking classes on. So um, all coming full circle. <laughs> I love that. And I, I think that, um, yeah, like you were saying, it's like, I think that some people may think of, oh, gaming is you're, you're, you're wasting away your time or whatever. But I think that in order to be a whole person that is productive, however you want to define that, creative, however you want to define that, that you can't be doing things 100% of your day. It's like, you really need to find ways to relax and unwind and um, even be inspired, like you were saying, um, with the, the technology. Because I think that, because you, you can't just keep going and going and going and expect this uh, constant high level of output or um, satisfaction with yourself just because you're just going to run yourself into the ground and that's not good for yourself it's not good for anybody around you so um, totally supports gaming and any any other pursuits that people might want to have like that yeah someone told me something during this period of time that's really stuck with me um, that relates to what you just said. Um, and the way she framed it is that we don't work to rest, we rest to work. Mm. And that to me, like that slight shift is everything because, um, you know, like I was saying, like I can fall into patterns of being a workaholic and I'm trying to break those. But knowing that rest is really crucial for what I'm trying to do in my life, um, the work that I'm trying to do, the communities yeah. I'm trying to help, um, really helped allow me the space and time to be okay with taking rest. So. I love that. And I think that that's something I'll have to tuck away to uh, <laughs> reframe my own thinking uh, because I, I do myself fall into some of those same tendencies of workaholism um, and 
despite my best efforts, sometimes it's um, it's easy to fall into old habits. So have you faced any mental health challenges during this year in quarantine period? And what are some ways that you've coped with them? I think beyond um, just trying to place, you know, anxiety and feelings of uncertainty and fear, um, the biggest one for me, like where it stems from beyond just even COVID uh, was earlier this year, I was uh, sexually assaulted. And I think during this quarantine time, having to cope with COVID and then also heal from this trauma was, is incredibly difficult um, because not only am I facing anxiety from this incident, but, you know, we're also in a pandemic, right? right? And I think I've had to really be gentle on myself. And there was moments where I was just had to work, um, but, you know, just mentally couldn't. And I think, again, going back to those reminders that we don't work to rest, we rest to work and allowing myself that rest and taking those breaks. So if that meant I took some breaks during the day and worked later when I felt, you know, more safe and productive, that's just how it had to be. And I think Mm -hmm. defining my own terms and my timing of things um, really helped me cope. Um, and then in addition to that, just very grateful for the support network that I have and the folks in my community that celebrate each small win. And I think the more small wins that we get over time compile into just uh, a developing courage and has brought with that like a lot of joy and peace and like serenity and has enabled me to like move through you know the highs and lows of healing (laughs) yeah well thank you leah for sharing that vulnerability with us i know that that's not easy to open up about that types of trauma um and i know that especially this year it's it's you may have people may have their own kind of ways that they may normally cope with situations. And like you said, um, everything has been upended this year. So it's just compounded on the stress and restrictions and everything else that the pandemic brings. So I that that sounds like a very challenging um, process that you went through, but I'm, I'm glad to see you um, finding that joy and um, ways of thriving on Thank the you. other side of it. Yeah. Um, I think is really interesting is, and this is what I've learned about myself too, um, not only just from the experiences of this year, but I think I've always been wired this way where like work has become my medicine. And Mm. it definitely at certain points of this year, like I really, (laughs) like part of um, my coping mechanism was overworking just because it allowed Mm. me time not to think about certain things right um but then as I was like coming into I don't coming into myself sounds weird but like coming into like the realizations that I of what I was doing and why um it was a really important revelation for me to be like oh okay um this is why I do this sometimes and it shouldn't be like that so let's let's be gentle but like change change the change the narrative of it and change change the direction of which um I put efforts into things. <laughs> so I'm wondering if you can tell us about a moment of clarity that you may have had that has affected uh, your journey to where you are now. And how does that that play into the, the arc of your life? 
So as a Korean adoptee, um, I think for me, feeling in spaces where I'm often in limbo, where I'm mm. not enough of this, but I'm too mm. much of that, um, just on the, you know, observations of how I am perceived um, when you, someone first meets me. And I think I would like to say that I never fully let that get to me, but I think as time went on and I, you know, really started to delve more into the history of adoption, adoption in general, talking to my friends about it. Um, I've learned and revelations that I made is that we all have to define ourselves and like what mm. that means for us. And that um, being able to do so and like allowing myself to define myself has been really, really uh, healing. It's also just been really eye-opening because it, again, it just creates more empathy for others, um, you know, regardless of if they can understand what I'm going through, if I can fully understand what they've been through. Um, it allows us the space to exist as we are and just to continue to love and accept someone or just hold space for someone we don't know, um, you know, before we come in with our expectations of who they are, like give them the space to do that themselves. <laughs> um, and I think that's been a revelation that increasingly as I become more comfortable with myself or doing that mm. for myself, it allows me um, greater capacity to do that for other people. That's amazing. I was wondering if you have any advice for adoptive parents or prospective adoptive parents to allow their children to have that space to explore their um, cultural identities um, and that, that duality that you spoke of? I think it's really important, um, especially for transracial and international adoptees, um, or even domestic too, to um, acknowledge your child's birth culture um, mm. and to give them space and freedom to explore that, but also give them the choice, right? Because mm. I know a lot of my friends, I went to a Korean cultural camp growing up and I loved it, but some of my friends weren't for it, right? And I think their parents forced them to do it. And I mm. think that can be very dangerous, right? Because like if you're forced to do something, you become, you inherently sometimes push further away from it. Yeah. And I think that it's a fine line between encouraging, um, but also versus enforcing um the other thing that i think is really important is if you don't like have the opportunities or the privilege to find these cultural camps or find these groups or the communities and um, events um is to really allow your child to carve their own spaces um, and put them in spaces where those opportunities are most likely to happen right um, my mm -hmm. parents chose not to raise me in the suburbs or some rural community because um, you know they wanted to raise me in a city where there would be other Asian folks and I think that's so important because that's not something like a lot of times a lot of families have to think about um, yeah. in the context of their child being different than them and I think it's everything like it was everything for me I would be a very different person if I wasn't surrounded by the diversity I had growing up so wrapping things up now is there anything you've discovered in this wild year that may have been a sudden change or an abrupt change or just a any any sort of change that you think that um you're looking forward to most keeping going for the long haul ironically it 
isn't so much of a change as it is me being comfortable with a change that or a lesson mm. that someone has imparted with me years ago. Um, and that lesson was um, the more comfortable you can be with uncertainty, the happier mm. you can be, will be, right? And at the time I was like, okay, yeah, I see how this applies to my day to day. Like New York is always uncertain. I'm just going to live in it. <laughs> but, you know, when something like this happens, it's completely like new for everyone and unexpected. Yeah. It really just reinforces that. Right. And I think a lot of the things that I had been working really hard for and planning like all my energy in, putting all my energy in um, got completely up and I had to be okay with that pivot but also yeah. see the beauty in that pivot too and mm. you know I speak from a you know I was able to keep my job I had a place of privilege I had a safe space so I I want to acknowledge that but I think this period of time has allowed me new opportunities and new communities to enter that I didn't even think that I would have the chance to do um you know with certain organizations that I volunteered for or became a part of and learning how to make the most of where you're at, even if where you're at isn't where you want to be, has mm. been something for me that has just been more in reinforced in my life and being comfortable with the uncertainty of having things that you really, really, really want, right? And have them be shifted or not work out. And then what do we do now? But how do we make the most of it? Um, so it's the making the most of it energy that's really carried forth for me. And um, I feel really grateful now, actually, in a weird way that I didn't leave in July, that I'm leaving in January because there's been a lot of healing and beautiful moments that I'm really grateful I have. That's amazing. Yeah. And I have to say, if there's ever a summation of what I'm I'm looking to investigate with this podcast, I think you hit the nail on the head is this notion of uncertainty and how even though this year has been framed as, oh, it's so uncertain. It's a, oh, we don't know what's happening. It's like that concept has, is, it's been a con, like a, a pure construction um, this whole time. And I think, and I hope, I hope that if anything, it, it equips other folks, um, no matter what journey they're on to, to become a little bit more uh, comfortable with that uncertainty and, and, and help them find their ways of navigating it and, and coming through it stronger than ever. So that's great. And, and that being said, as I, I know that hopefully COVID is something that will be this, this mass experience that we're all going through will hopefully be um, coming to a close sooner rather than later, hopefully. Um, when you imagine that day that we're on the other side of this, what are you most hopeful for? I'm really hopeful for, um, you know, all of us, like, moving past fear of interacting with other people, um, either in our families or our communities or people who don't look like us. And I'm really looking forward to embracing people without that fear, either physically Oh, sorry. What's the frame? Literally or literally or figuratively. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, and I think that's what I'm most hopeful for. And I'm looking forward to just like hugging my grandma without being like, Ooh. Oh. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, thank you again, Leah, for joining. Um, before you leave, is there anything you want to plug? And where can folks find you online? Yes. Um, 
I am on Instagram. You can follow me at Leah, L-E-A-H dot Chi, C-H-I dot Grace, G-R-A-C. <laughs> um, you can also follow the work we do with AWA or Asian Woman in the Arts at connect.awa on Instagram. And then we also have um, a website, which is connectawa.com. And, you know, we also have Facebook groups, but all that information should be on either the other two platforms. So. All righty. Well, thank you, Leah. Um, and I hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you so much. I appreciate talking to you today. Bye-bye. Thank you so much to Leah for joining the show and for sharing your vulnerability. If you like the show, please be sure to rate and review on your platform of choice and consider sharing with a friend. If you or someone you know think would be a great guest, please email me at derekjhorn at gmail.com. In These Uncertain Times is created, produced, and edited by me, Derek Horn. The show's theme music is Strawberry Shortcake by Brasco. Until next time, thank you for listening and be well.